My name is Moises. I'm the associate pastor. For those of you who do not know me, I'm here. I'm going to bring the word today. And I'm excited. I'm anxious. I'm anxious. I'm like jittery. I don't know what's going on. I'm ready to go. Who's ready to go with me? All right. We're going to do this and we're going to do it right. Last week, we started this sermon series, Prayer of One. And today, we're going to continue that. Um, and I'm going to kind of dive into it pretty quickly. I was looking for the word prayer and what it stood for, what it meant, because it just kind of brings us back to the basics, not that we necessarily need a definition all the time of a word, but I thought to myself, I'm just going to look up the definition of the word prayer, and it says it is a solemn request for help or expression of thanks addressed to God or an object of worship. Prayer is a word that is found in Scripture over 250 times, through this function of prayer is how we request help and need or even thank God. So in essence, in order for us to call something prayer, we either have to be asking for something or thanking for something. It's a little bit different than communication in a way, but about the same thing when it comes to God. Last Sunday, we introduced this series by talking about the experiences of the prophet Elijah. And how some of the prayer requests that he came forth with God were answered immediately and some had this delay response. And how his character dealt with all those things. This morning, we're going to be diving into the book of Exodus and looking at a story of Moses. Yes, Moses, right? Prayer of one, Moses by Moises, which is Moses in Spanish. It's happening. Get ready. But it's not a story about me, all right? You could almost read that and say, prayer of one, Moses, by Moses. But it's not about this Moses. It's about, I'm Moses. This is Moses in Exodus, all right? <laughs> Catch that. <laughs> I told you I was going to do it, Landon. <laughs> all right. So we all know, many of us are familiar with this, but Moses was the chosen vessel of God to deliver the people out of bondage from Egypt into the promised land. Through his journey, like many of our lives, and like a lot of us could attest, he would experience a journey of victories and some defeats and some momentum and no momentum. He knew he was destined for amazing things as the man chosen by God. But the truth is that knowing doesn't always equal doing. And some things tend to change along the way. Am I screaming? I know. That's why I get excited, man. All right, I toned it down. <laughs> And so, in, in, in other words, he was chosen and destined, but he didn't know the entire picture of the full story for his life. We, we, we tend to be people that are wired that the more we know, the less we communicate, right? 
We, we, if we know how to get to a place, we don't need directions. And there's some men in the room that even when they don't know how to get to a place, they don't ask for directions, <laughs> right? That's not me. That's not me. I'm excited because I got Rosie here today with me. And there's a lot of stuff in here about me and you, girl. So you, you, you should have worked the nursery today. You should have worked the nursery today. <laughs> Just kidding, right? If I know what I'm doing, I don't need instructions on doing it. Or unless you're a man in the room today that doesn't know what he's doing and still muddles through it. Actually, we had, we had one of the guys here uh, put some furniture together. And, and because I know this, I told him, right? He, he's getting ready to help me put some furniture together. And I, I said to him, are you one of those guys? Do you read the instructions or are you one of those guys that just kind of like, you know, common sense all the way through it? And he's like, of course I read the instructions. I'm like, I like you. You could do it. Go for it. Yeah. Right? It was Luis. <laughs> so, but as people of God, even when we know where we're headed, there are details about that journey that have not been laid out for us yet. You may know what your calling is, what you're called to do, but the details of that plan and how it's going to develop, it, it, we don't really know all those things yet. So therefore, no matter how much we know, we must continue to rely on God because there's a lot more to come than we know. Right? And one of the questions that I struggle with the most when talking about prayer is, why would we pray to a God that has the power to do anything and knows everything. To me, it made, early on in my Christian life, it made it kind of like, why would I go to him in prayer? Why would I get on my knees, and what would I tell him if he knows everything about me? Right? It was kind of different for me. And I started to read, and I, I, I learned that, did you know that Jesus was asked 183 questions by people in the Gospels? Right? He was asked 183 questions by people in the gospel. Did you know that only four times did he answer those questions with a definitive answer? The other 179 times he answered with another question. Don't we love that? I love asking Rosie for something and she says, why? <laughs> right? Hey, babe, where did we put this? Why? Hey, babe, what are we doing today? Why? You know, like, I love that. Uh, you should have went to the nursery. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but believe me when I tell you, believe me when I tell you, Jesus was not answering questions with questions because he needed answers. So you may want to ask, and why was Jesus then, if he was asked 183 questions, why 179 of them did he respond with another question? He's an all-knowing God, right? Probably knew the answer. And it was because he wanted to build a relationship with people. And that's in essence what we do when we come before God in prayer. Jesus wasn't trying to figure out the game plan that that person had for their lives. No, he was asking them questions to make them think. think. He was forcing conversations with understanding and agreement. So relationships would grow stronger with the people he was encountering. The same is true for us. 
You may, why would I come to God in prayer? Because he wants to build a relationship with you. And although he knows everything about your life, he wants to talk to you. And he wants you to talk to him. And he wants you to be able to process the plans that he has in store for you. And the things that he wants you to accomplish. And how he wants to make those things happen in your life. Amen? That's a little side note there. A lot of times we think we have all the information and we understand the majority of what's going on in our life. So, you know, we think that we don't need prayer, but hear me out. You need much prayer in your life. Our relationship with God is one that is constantly being built on this very principle. God wants to communicate with us. He wants to hear from us. He wants us to hear from him. He wants to connect in ways that would allow you and I to grow in relationship with him, to make a, a stronger connection with us as human beings. I mean, listen, communication is one of those things that is important. It makes the world go round. We would all agree in this room that no matter what, communication is, if communication is general, is one of the most helpful things for any relationship. Marriages are better. When communication is central, friendships are stronger when there's communication happening, true, genuine conversation. The workplace operates different when com communication is the central theme of it. Almost any area of our lives, regardless of the se season and situation, is better when communication is at the center. So if communication helps so many of our earthly relationships, why the same would not be true for God? We think it helps on every other level, every other relationship. You know who we don't talk to? Who are the people we don't talk to? The people we don't like. Right? You have a coworker that, you know, not that you don't like. I'm not talking about hate. I'm not, don't go there. Right? But you avoid people. Or is it just, no, that's not me. I love everyone I work with, <laughs> right? We, we don't communicate with people we don't, we don't like or, or, or we have a difference with or, or we don't kind of share the same opinion or, you know, and, and somehow we, now there's times where we don't, communi we don't communicate with people we, we do like. Marry people in the room. Let me see you. Let me see your hands. Like, there's quite a few of you here. Sorry if you're not married yet. It's coming. Believe it. So, When I, when I have an argument with my wife, what is the first thing I do? I should. <laughs> Good answer. That's a smart guy. That is a very smart guy. Good job. Now I'm changing my entire sermon here. <laughs> No, but when, when we have, when I, sorry, I'm just, we don't talk to each other, right? If I say something that upsets Rosie or she said something that upsets me, we just kind of like go quiet on each other, right? We let our pride take over. I'm the only one, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest, it's kind of dreadful, all right? Because Rosie and I love talking to each other. We're like two little old gossipy ladies when I get home from work. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. 
But we get home and we just, you know, she tells me about her day. I tell even our three-year-old Sebastian is like, no talking, just playing. Because <laughs> we're just talking to each other and talking to each other, right? It's, it's dreadful. When I'm, I'm like my pride, you're like, carry me through this. I don't want to talk to you. You bother me, right? Like, it's hard because I want to talk to her. Simply because of my pride. I don't know if I've been the only one, but have you ever been in that situation where you're not talking to your wife or she's not talking to you because something bad happened? Whatever. Uh, Victor and Linda, this doesn't happen all the time, I promise you. Um, <laughs> but we, we tell people, we, we, some, we, you get good news, and the only person I can share it with is her. And they're really good news. But I let my, my pride carry me through, and I just hold it. I'm like, I got some really good news and I want to share it with her, but I'm mad at you, you know? <laughs> you know? And, and maybe, maybe people in your life do things to offend you, friendships or whatever it may be, but when has God ever offended you? Right? We apply the same rule to God. We don't talk to people we don't know, people that bother us, People that have done things to offend us, and then we don't talk to God because we're too busy. We cannot say the same thing for God. I started to think about this, and I say, why does it hurt me so bad when I don't talk to my wife? What, what happens? Why is it that when I don't talk to her, I feel, oh, man, I wish I could talk to her, but I'm going to let my pride carry me through this one, and you know? but it's because my wife represents something to me. Therefore, when I talk to her or she doesn't talk to me, it affects us in a certain way. So I came to the conclusion that lack of communication to God comes from a misrepresentation of our relationship with him. In other words, you don't know who he is to you and what he really represents. Therefore, you see no need to communicate. What's in it for me? What's the difference? It's going to get nice. Watch. You're going you're gonna to love this. I'm making you laugh. You get all serious. Right? We must know who we are to God and who he is to us in order to properly know how and when to communicate with him. You cannot go a day without talking to your Savior and be okay with it. Something inside of us should feel different. Maybe you didn't have time to set some time apart to get on your knees at home and talk to God. But something inside of you should feel different. You should want to talk to him because he wants to talk to you for the sake of relationship. You're like, I don't know what to say to God. Just talk to him. Just talk to him. The story that we're going to be looking at this morning will show us the role prayer plays in the battles we may face or difficult areas in our lives that we may struggle with in the future. Let's go to our, our, our Bibles in Exodus chapter 17. We're going to read verse 8 to verse 13 and, and pretty much stay there. Verse 8 to 13. Exodus chapter 17. It'll be on the screens too. I'm going to read it. While the people of Israel were still at that name. How do you say that? Rephidim. The warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose men to go out and fight the armies of Amalek for us. 
Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill, holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, while Moses, Aaron, Hur climbed to the top of the nearby hill, as long as Moses held up the staff in his hands, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. You know, this, this story has a strong, powerful, spiritual kind of leadership principle to it. The, the steps that Moses, Moses and these other men and individuals took as this unprecedented event took place is something to admire. Because we clearly see in verse 8 at the beginning of that, of that scripture that they were kind of caught off guard by what was taking place. This kind of leads me to my first point, and it's that prayer, prayer and a plan, prayer and a plan. You know, we see here, it's almost like Moses already intended on praying, so his first reaction was positive, right? Like many of us, Moses said, I have a problem before me, therefore I will pray. Many of us understand that. In fact, I will jump to say that many of us only pray when we have a problem. You don't get any kind of special recognition for that. We obviously tend to pray for things we have a hard time controlling in a lot of ways. But here we see the leadership of Moses kind of come out. Not only that, but his connection with God was so true because he followed a plan that was purposeful and had a reason behind it. There's an old saying that says, Pray like it all depends on God, but work like it all depends on you. Even in a moment like this, when the Amalekites attacked Moses, he jumped into action. We don't see God telling Moses, this is what you need to do. Take this message to the people. No, verse 8 says, they got, it was under attack. Moses jumps onto action. It, it, it's interesting to see that leadership trade. Somebody that is confident in God doesn't crumble in the difficult moments. They know kind of what to do. Even when things may get difficult. And we see although Moses had a plan, he got tired. It's, it's interesting to see how he reacted because they say, I have this written in, uh, on here on my paper that says, they say anytime you mix a little loyalty with a little imagination, you got a got a man on your hands. A little loyalty with a little imagination. But then as much as I admire Mo Moses for reacting, the, the, the question stays true to all of us today is that what, what do we do when things don't go according to plan in our lives? What do we do? You may be a reactive person. You're able to, boom, put the plans together real quickly and jumpstart when you, when you, see, when you see adversity strike. But... What do you fall back on? What do you, what do you do then, right? Mike Tyson said it like this. He said, everyone has a plan till they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> you didn't think I was going to be quoting Mike Tyson today, huh? Be blessed. Be blessed. 
<laughs> you know, maybe our plans are not for war, but you probably have plans your entire life mapped out. Well, you were going to go to college, right? The marriage, career, number of kids you were going to have. You were going to retire by 55, moving to Hawaii. But then life punched you in the mouth. And I know that sounds, but it's, you know, think about it. To me, it's such a relief to know that I believe in a God who knows everything. That's not a setback for me. It's something that I can rely on. It's my hope. Right? That when things don't seem clear, I have a guy who's a God who's in control. He's the only one who truly knows the plans and details of those plans for my life. That's encouraging. It has been said that when it comes to our personal prayer, the truth is God is either going to give us what we want or he's going to give us the things that we would have asked for if you knew the things that he knew. Follow me? Right? You either hit the nail on the head by asking God for those things or we would just be praying for the things that we would pray for knowing the things that he knows. Because his plans are right and perfect for our lives. As much as we would like to highlight the plan that Moses had for battle, his first plan was to pray. Because prayer is not the fallback or the last resort. Prayer is what we should begin with. What we should constantly do. See, he didn't even make it an option. He didn't say, maybe I'll go pray. No, he said, Joshua, go. I'll be in the mountain. Right? He knew exactly what needed to happen. But then he got tired. We see verse 11. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hands, the Israelite had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hands, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. For many of us, this is usually when we fall apart. When our plans, God, I was doing what I thought you wanted me to do. I thought I took the right steps in following what you wanted me to do. Why are things falling apart? Why am I tired? Why am I so worn out? The sad part is in those moments, you had confidence, right? When you make the decisions to make the plans to start walking like you did. But in that moment, we start questioning what we were called to do in the first place. Did you know that confirmation is only needed when we doubt God? I'm going to say it again. Confirmation is only needed when we doubt God. So why are we asking for confirmation on things that we have already been convicted for? Right? We walk into these plans. We feel good. It feels like the right decision. God is backing up our decision. But somehow something happens along the way and we get tired. And we start seeking confirmation because doubt settles in, right? Because doubt settles in. We see that in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up, right? We can't give up. We can't give up. You don't really get a detail on who told who what. You know, Moses' arms got tired, and these guys are just there helping him out. There's no detail as to, and then Moses said, hey, grab me that rock so I could sit on it. No. 
All these events just tend to happen and take place. Never do you ever hear someone questioning God because things aren't going well. Because confirmation is only needed when we doubt God. Right? We must trust that God will send the help we need, which leads me to my next point, number two. Prayer and support. Prayer and support. In, at the bottom of verse 12, it says, So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. No one was instructing Aaron and Hur on what to do. They were just there. The instructions given by Moses earlier were only to Joshua and himself. I don't even know how Aaron and Hur ended up tagging along. But somehow they were available and willing. Hear me out here. They were available and willing to do something that may not seem like the greatest job in the world. But just as important and much needed. Right? This too is a pivotal principle because... One of our missionaries came to this church and said in one of their windows, if you want to go fast, go along. Go alone. If you want to go far, go together. As she was seeking support from us, right? So while at the beginning of the story, their involvement might have felt insignificant, why am I climbing this hill with Moses? There's only one staff to hold up. Joshua's already fighting with the armies. Their overall purpose was key. It's so hard. We have a horrible habit of ranking things that we do in our lives as significant or insignificant. We put ourselves there. If one responsibility is more powerful than the other, and this, this, I would rather do this than this, and oh my gosh, that's so low down here, and this is so much better, and we rank these things in our lives. And hardly do we ever consider segments of our lives that are extremely important simply we keep, because we deem those things useless. Man, what's going on in here? Why is it so quiet? Our entire belief system is built on this perceived insignificance thing, right? Noah was just a good old family man doing things out there. Nobody believed in it. And literally, he re God uses him to almost practically reset creation. David, a farm boy, right, with a sling, changes the trajectory of a nation. It becomes one of the most named characters in scripture. Mary, a young girl called to carry out the savior of the world. Things that start off as what we would call insignificant. Isn't that what God does? Ruth, Esther, Jonah, Peter, Jesus. And I don't mean that like, you know, I mean like Jesus, like, I, you know what I mean? I'm not frustrated. I'm, Saying, like the name Jesus. <laughs> uh, I noticed it as soon as I said it. You know, all these stories started with a weird sort of value to them and became one of the most 
powerful stories or, or events ever told and lived. Prayer and support is twofold because there are people that you need and there's people that need you. I know you don't need help. I know you were born by yourself. Unless you're a twin. And probably you're still born by yourself, right? Because one has to come out first. <laughs> she got it. But, I mean, it, it is even great, a great leader like Moses needed help in the midst of something that he had already planned out. When you read his instructions initially, you would never think that Moses was going to struggle with anything. This guy is calling the shots. He's like, he's got it all figured out. Right? You hear a lot of people saying, I'm better alone. No, you're not. You need others. Our pride isn't going to save us. Not only that, but others need us. We get tired when we need, we, we, we get tired when we need, and we need help, and it's okay for us to ask for it. And some of us are too proud to accept it, especially men. We walk around like there's some kind of, men died 10 years earlier. Because we walk around with this weight that we think we're supposed to be carrying. That's a statistic. There's a burden on top of us as leaders, as men, that we I don't read instructions. <laughs> that weighs down on you, man. All those turns on the road, and you know, like that, that, that'll weigh down on you. Proverbs 16, 18, the message version says, first pride, then the crash, the bigger the ego, the harder the fall. Loneliness is a real problem. There have been many men of God who have fallen because we were too proud to ask for help. And that happens across the board. A man was arrested, a preacher, for some scandalous thing, and I'm not going to say his name. When he came out, I, I read this story, and I thought it was powerful. He told a story about a salesman who worked long hours and away from home all the time. Because of this, he didn't have a lot of relationships. No wife, no children, not many friends. He thought about getting a dog, but who would take care of the dog while he was gone? He hated the idea of coming home by himself, so he decided, I would get some expensive tropical fish. Okay. And then when he came home, he would have someone waiting for him. And he would have someone to take care of. The truth of the matter is that he was lonely. One day he came home from a long week of traveling, and again the fish were there hungry. So he fed them as he always did. He even gave them names. They were kind of like his family. He went to bed that night, not too far away from the fish tank. What he didn't know that night is that while he slept, the thermostat of the fish tank malfunctioned. So the tank began to get hotter and hotter, and he couldn't feel it because although he was close to them, he was not in the tank with them. In the morning, he got up from his comfortable bed and looked over 
at the fish he loved so much, and they were bloated. They were dead. Floating on top of the tank, they, have, they had literally boiled to death next to him. Follow me here. This is not a story about fish here. He, he looked at the side of the tank with tears in his eyes and he said, and he asked, I wonder if sometime during the night, as the tank got hotter, I wonder if the fish screamed and I couldn't hear them. Even though I loved them and care for them, I gave them what I thought they needed. Did I sleep through their screams? This pastor says, in the middle of my issue, I felt like the fish. I was surrounded by all the right people, but I was screaming and nobody could hear me. I was deep in my problem and I was almost wanting the help. I was screaming in the tank, but because I was so underwater, no one could hear me. You sit here today and you think, I'm not the fish. But there are loved ones close to you that may be screaming and you're not hearing them. You're this close to them. And inside they're screaming for help right next to you. And you can't even hear them. We need each other. And we need each other now. It's not something that could wait those relationships that we probably have given up on for a while because they didn't quite work out, those people that we care for, that name that comes to mind when we talk about these things, or maybe it is you needing help. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, later on, it says, a person standing alone could be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple-breaded cord. It's not easily broken. Loneliness is not a healthy place. It's a very unhealthy place. Time and time again, we see strength found in the support of one another. Everyone has a role to play. And no one role, no role is more important than the next one. There are people that need you, and you need people. That's the simple fact. You cannot carry this on your own. Even a great leader like Moses, when he had all the plan figured out, needed support. Third point. Let's go. Now kind of wrap up with this point. Prayer is not enough. Prayer is not enough. And I know that's going to sound contradictory. You might be wondering like, oh my gosh, did he really say that? And, and, and here's where I'm at with it. You know, I, I'm... I'm I, I grow a little concerned about the, the statement made, we're just going to leave it in God's hands. Not that, there, that that statement is true. Very true. But we have used that statement to become reliant on an all-powerful God that we hardly ever do anything for ourselves. Right? It, uh, think of it this way, right? Let's look at the scenario we're looking at today. Moses looks at Joshua and at Aaron and her and said, all right, everybody, let's hold hands right now. They're attacking Hurry up. Come on. Right? We pray and then we, let's just see what God does. No. It was not like that at all. 
Sometimes prayer is not enough. In fact, a, a nice detail of the story in, the, in, the, uh, uh, in verse 13, when, when the story is wrapped up and, and it is explained, it says that in verse 13, it says, And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with what? With the sword, not the prayer. If I'm Moses, I'm like, what? I've been praying this whole time. The only reason why you won is because I had my hands up. The other version, the NLT says, in battle. So God highlights the fact that this battle was, born, was won with the sword. Interesting detail here, right? Why is it so important? Because God always understands the bigger picture. This is the first biblical reference of the man chosen to succeed Moses as Israel's new leader. The name Joshua means the Lord saves, Yahweh is the Savior, the Greek form of the name Jesus. As if God was telling this story and using this story to prepare Joshua for his future. The bigger picture. You think you're praying for a miracle today, but God sees the bigger picture. Right? It is appropriate that the man who would later conquer Canaan appears first in military role. Joshua did not know this, but God was preparing him for his future, his future wars against the Canaanites as he leads Israel in possession of the promised land. Right? Moses was asked to move. A lot of people like to give Moses, he's a great leader, right? But then Joshua we kind of, ah, you had it easy, man. Moses did all the work for you. But listen, Moses was being asked to move, people, to move people that were desperate for change. Joshua was being asked to move people that were comfortable. Man, I'll take Joshua in a fight any day. Not that I bet. I don't bet. Right? Think about that. The picture is always bigger with God. But sadly, we have become people of the moment. Addicted to the one-time events. Forcing ourselves not to see past anything. Too often we have come complacent. We come to this place hoping for the God hit. A fleeting moment of connection with God so we can get back to our lives. We don't need any more, God. Just one moment. One moment. Your journey is always bigger than your moments. Did you know that moments change trajectories, but journeys and lifestyles change lives? Moments are important, hugely important. Your life is not a byproduct of moments. Your life is a byproduct of your lifestyle. And lifestyles take time and work to develop. Moments are easier because it happens fast. They're amazing. They're powerful. One of the reasons we tend to gravitate towards indulgence is because we prefer to feel a surface level of happiness and acknowledge the pain buried beneath the surface. Jesus said in John 6, 26, he said, you want to be with me because I fed you. That's the reason you want to be with God. Because he fed you. He says, not because you understood the miraculous signs. I gave you something that were longer than that. The miracle was just a turning point. 
In fact, in, in, in other translations, we see other versions say things like, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Something deeper happens with God than just one-time miracles. We have become too like, obsessed with chasing moments when moments aren't going to change your life. In fact, Jesus said, I'll give you water that you'll drink and you'll never thirst again. Every miracle, he followed it almost. I didn't, I didn't read all of them, but a lot of the miracles you read, Jesus follows them with the lifestyle. You're healed. Now go and do this. You're, you're safe. Now go and sin no more. This happened. Now go and don't tell anyone what happened here. Now go and, and tell everyone what happened here. Every single one-time moment or one-time event is followed by a lifestyle because he's a God of the big picture. Right? Moments will change our trajectory, but journeys and lifestyles will change our lives. I, this year, it's my, it's my focus to ask God for lifestyle changes, journey changes. I want him to make moments happen in my life, but I want that to change my life. Being caught in simply praying for something and not doing anything towards it will undervalue the miracle of the moment. For instance, God could bail you out financially, but if you don't do anything to fix yourself, what's going to happen? You're going to end up in the same place where you started. Now, did the miracle still take place? Yes, the miracle still took place. God still came through, right? But if you don't do something about it, if you don't take steps into correcting certain things, the miracle... The momentum, the moment was undervalued, right? Prayer is important. It must be a priority in our lives, right? You can't, you can't get prayer wrong. The only time where you can get prayer wrong is when you don't do it. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says, never stop praying. We need to communicate with, more with God. You hear constantly this whole thing about we need to be vigilant in our prayer life, right? What does that mean? Apparently, I can't even say it. <laughs> it. says, work is doing it. Discipline is doing it every day. Di diligence is doing it every day well. Communicate with God on a daily basis. He wants to hear from you. We need to hear from him. And we want to grow our relationship with him. Don't chase moments. There's a bigger picture of what has taken place in your life. You need a plan. You need people around you. And prayer is just not going to be it. It starts with that. But understand that there's a bigger picture to what's happening. Not everything that you're praying for in your life is only going to affect you. There's going to be other people that will be affected and that will be inspired by it. And maybe the, 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 the moment that you're praying for it's a turning point for someone else in your life, and you don't even know it. Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this moment, Lord. I pray that you encourage us, that you give us the ability, Lord, to, to just seek you every day on a consistent basis. So when we're, when we're faced with trouble like Moses was, Lord, that we would be able to step up to the plate and just acknowledge you, acknowledge your presence, and be part of the moment with you, Lord. Let the miracles and the moments that take place in our life be lifestyle changing. 
Let us be different for you. Let us grow in relationship with you. Help us, God. We may not know what to say, Lord, but you give us the words. We are seeking you, Lord, following you. You're wanting relationship with us, and that's humbling because we should want relationship with you. Thank you for saving us. Let this message convict us. And the things that we have learned today, let us implement those things moving forward on our day-to-day lives. We love you, God, and we thank you for this day. In your name we pray, amen.